The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, which means we'll be picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the author under the spotlight. Now Mbappe with a shooting chance. He's done it again. Ball inside the area, Lingard. Back for Pogba. Super finish. That's what we used to see from Paul Pogba. This week we're going to highlight a timely piece of work with the January transfer window around the corner. It's all about the superstars who, still in their 20s and many in the prime of their careers, will be out of contract and available for free transfer this summer. The Athletic Stuart James will join us in a second to discuss that. Uh, Dan, I know this was a, a big favourite of yours. You've been in the WhatsApp group for the past like three weeks saying you wanted to do the podcast about this. So you must be chuffed that we're finally going to get stuck into it. Yeah, I've worn them down. Eventually, eventually <laughs> the powers that be wanted to listen to me. So I'm looking forward to getting into it, to be fair. But let's start by talking about the Premier League, which looks set to continue where possible. David Ornstein broke some news on Monday. There was a concern that there was going to be a circuit break and needed over the Christmas period, but it looks like that's now not going to happen. Are you happy with that, Flo? Um, I wouldn't say I'm happy about it. I completely understand both the Premier League and the EFL's statements and reactions and after those meetings with clubs, etc., saying they're not going to have a circuit breaker, games will continue. Because if there's no lockdown in the wider country, then there isn't much a point of doing a lockdown in football because players can still contract the virus. I think what differs now is when football came back in the you know, in the first sort of wave of the pandemic, they could really cut themselves off, form bubbles, you know, players could stay in hotels and players' families, you know, were told not to go to the supermarket, etc. Because most of the nation was in lockdown. It was pretty much, you know, you, you wouldn't really you wouldn't didn't go on public transport, you didn't travel unless you really needed to. You went to the local supermarket and that was about it. So there was a much easier way to contain the virus. Whereas right now Football shutting down probably isn't going to change that much of the situation within these leagues because players can still get it. Um, mm. You know, if their partners are going to work, if their partners are seeing family for Christmas, like it's not really going to end. So I do, I do sympathise in that sense because they're almost looking to the government and other restrictions to guide them. And at the moment, at this present stage, that's not changing. There obviously are reports about some kind of restrictions coming in post-Christmas and then maybe we will see things change across football, perhaps a behind closed doors sort of method. But at the moment, I kind of think they're like, well, you know, if the wider situation isn't changing, why would we? Yeah, I mean, I was in the unfortunate situation at the weekend. I don't live in Birmingham to drive in two hours to go to the game and then the game got called off two hours before kickoff, but you know, there's people who come in from all over the world that I'd, that I'd seen for that Villa game. People coming over from Singapore, Ireland. It's it's very disruptive on the fans, and it does always feel like it's the fans that lose out in these situations. Yeah, totally. I mean, there are way better ways they could go about this. I think there's still a massive lack of clarity about what constitutes um, the, a game being called off. I did see some uh, sort of 
statements over the weekend from both the EFL and the Premier League trying to clear that up around, you know, players from under 23s or academies and and if they could be counted towards match day squads if they've played before etc but it still feels like sort of making up as you go along a little bit with some of these and I think there would be a much better consistent way to do it and obviously having something like a circuit breaker would also just make it easier for fans and clubs to be able to prepare because we had a case last Wednesday as well when Burnley's game against Watford was called off literally like an hour and a half, two hours before kickoff. Like players, the players were about to arrive at the stadium and it got called off. So yeah, it feels like um, the communication could be a little bit better. Um, And I think it will improve. I think like everything in wider society, I think, you know, we've just taken, we all relaxed a little bit because we were hoping that this situation wasn't going to go back to to how it was and we weren't going to be back where we are right now. So I think because of that, you know, the way that we deal with these situations is is completely different. We we kind of got into a bit of a false sense of security, whereas now everyone's having to go back to that sort of like peak pandemic way of doing things, whether it's like testing or, you know, getting on top of squads and all those procedures and everything. And it's it's like hard to take yourself back there when you've got used to things being much more relaxed and probably not being worried as much. And now you're like, oh, God, you know, our game's being called off again for the first time in you know, months. Um, so I understand it's a lot for clubs to deal with and, and clubs will have staff across the whole club that are also isolating and not working. So yeah. it makes their jobs a lot harder too. So yeah, with the way that we're seeing it impacting the whole country, it's not surprising that football is sort of struggling to deal with it as well. And whatever's happening, you can get across it by being a subscriber of The Athletic. And if you're not already, you can sign up for just £3.33 a month for 12 months at the moment. To do that, just visit theathletic.com slash footballpod. And if you're still scratching around for a last-minute Christmas gift for that football-mad member of the family, then give the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled sports writing, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for just £29.99 for a whole year. That's 50% off. Again, to do that, visit theathletic.com right now. Let's welcome Stuart James, senior writer for The Athletic and Swansea fan. We've just been talking about football going ahead with supporters over Christmas. That's already obviously not the case in Wales. And as a Swansea supporter, Stuart, how do you feel about this? Grumpy. Um, yeah. Yeah, as I sort of... Uh, the Grinch. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, I was really, really annoyed about that uh, last night. I meant to have an early night last night and then I sort of saw that announcement at... Um, I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what it was, but the midnight saying that uh, unfortunately um, games in Swansea, in, in Wales are now going to be uh, played behind closed doors. Uh, there's no timescale on this, which is really uh, disconcerting as well, because who knows how long it will go on. Naturally, you end up thinking it won't be everyone back at the same time. It will be a phased return. And uh, it was tough first time round, um, but you know, ultimately, obviously, we have to accept it. But I think first time round, it was... It was something that you just kind of then got used to. You started streaming games that I did as a season ticket holder and and it was making the best of a bad situation. But now you've had a chance to go back and sort of feel that you are back, that you're seeing, you know, the familiar faces. You didn't necessarily know the names or the season ticket holders around you. And and, uh, I've had some couple of great experiences this season when I look back and think of um, dare I mention it beating Cardiff 3-0 which is obviously a big one and then beating West Brom the same week and and actually worrying how how much happiness I get from being at those matches because um, it's uh, 
feels disproportionate to what it should be in terms of my life. But those moments, every parent who takes a child along will know what that feels like. You know, they're magical times. It's not even the game sometimes. It's just the whole journey, the uh, talking before the game with people who become friends and yet you don't even know their names and sharing little experiences and, um, yeah, coming away from the game, doing your player rating, silly things like that in the car on the way home. People that people relate to all those stories, I'm sure, you know, around the country. And then suddenly thinking, here we go again, back on a sofa, typing a code into my laptop to stream a match. I just don't feel like doing that at this moment in time. No doubt I will be silly enough to be watching Swansea play Luton on, you know, December the 29th on a, on a computer screen. But it just feels a bit rubbish. And um, yeah, I can't help but sound a bit depressed about that. Completely agree with you. There's no replacement for celebrating a goal in the stadium. The difference between seeing Villa score sat at home on the sofa and being at a full Villa Park, like like you say, it shouldn't be one of the best things in my life. But it, but it is. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's even worse for your situation because you're watching everyone else in England get to yeah. still enjoy that if they if they, you know if they want to go. Well, and yeah. you know that's been that's been taken away from you guys. So I think that's that's I think what makes it you know so much. Uh, more frustrating for me if if that if I were in that position because it just feels like you're missing out, doesn't it? That that is hard flow to get your head around, and you know fans suggesting this morning proposing home games being played at Ashton Gate now, um, which uh, as someone who lives in Bristol, I'd definitely be up for. But yeah, it's weird. You know, the first thing I start doing last night um, after tweeting in a sort of a bit of a rage um, was to write who are the away games coming up. And then I look and see January and it's like Huddersfield in hell. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what a trek both of those are. But I'm also thinking, yeah, we should try and get to those now. And it'd be weird to mm. think, I don't know what the impact will be on the away following now. Um you know, whether suddenly we will take a lot more supporters to games um, because that's your only chance to go and watch. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a surreal situation um, when it's out of sync with what's happening with other clubs in your league and it will obviously have a disadvantage to um, Swansea and Cardiff and, you know, Newport as well in League Two who effectively surrender any kind of... Um, positive you took from playing at home in front of your own supporters. It's just a game on a pitch now, isn't it? And um, yeah, that's uh, that's not great. But hey, I guess if I step back from it and try and see the bigger picture, um, the only thing that matters is health, isn't it? Obviously now. So let's just hope there's some positive news in the in the not too distant future. Well, as QPR, Villa and Swansea fans, let's cheer ourselves up by looking at all the amazing players that are available on free transfers in the summer that our clubs will not be signing. <laughs> Your piece is called Mbappe, Dybala, Pogba. Why are so many stars out of contract next summer? Came out last month, I think it was, and I've been wanting to do it actually ever since it came out, but they've saved it for the right time heading into January now. Just how many stars are we talking about here? Because I could not believe when I read that piece how many big players are out of contract this summer. Uh, it is incredible, really. And I'd love to take the credit for the idea, but as usual, okay. it's one of our brilliant editors who came up with it and um, yeah, mentioned it to me, Charlie. So it, it is extraordinary. I mean, we're looking at this list of names of yeah, Mbappe, Pogba, Dybala, Dembele, Rudiger, Belotti, Kessie, Brozovic, Sula, Ginter, Christensen, Ling. It goes on and on and on. And the amazing thing is all those names I've just listed there are all going to be in their 20s when they're on a free. And that's the kind of unprecedented side of it, really, Dan. It, often we think of um, A-list players being on a free transfer. 
uh, in the sort of twilight of their career. Uh, I guess you're thinking of people like last summer, maybe someone like a, a Ramos or, um, and, and there will be people like that next summer in terms of uh, Modric, um, although I think he's about to sign again now since we've done this article, Gareth Bale certainly. But yeah, it's just the fact that they're players in their peak who will be available on a free, which is, which is very, very unusual. A free obviously is not really a free. Um, you <laughs> no, know, yes, it's free in football. No, there's no, no, there's not. Absolutely, we know that well. So yeah, a free transfer will end up costing clubs a lot of money, but not as much money as it would if you bought them uh, when they were under contract. I think it's it's interesting to get onto that no such thing as a free lunch thing in in a little bit. But mm. why is this incoming summer? so unique compared to previous years? Yeah, very good question. And uh, you cannot obviously discount the impact of COVID. That's not the sole reason, Flo, but it's, it's, it's a big reason for why this has happened. If you think really normally the time when clubs would see is a, an optimum moment to renegotiate a contract would be when there's two years remaining. And all these players who are out of contract in 2022, if we rewind two years, that's obviously to the summer 2020, when we were just getting used to the nightmare that is COVID. Um, some leagues weren't playing, some leagues had restarted and were playing in front of empty stadium, empty uh, yeah, in empty stadiums, no fans. And so the financial losses around that were, at the time, unknown, but clearly not going to be good. And at that point, trying to renegotiate a player's contract wasn't really in a lot of people's minds. So that's clearly been part of it. And I think... Players have also got a bit braver. That was one of the interesting things that clubs and agents put to me, that they feel that there's now this feeling that they can be quite bold because they know that clubs don't want to pay transfer fees because they're in such a financial mess. So they're thinking, Do you know what, I can run my contract down here and probably get an even better deal somewhere else on a free knowing that I'll be really attractive to even the top, top clubs who in the past would have happily paid big fees, but now financially aren't able to do so. I think it's important to stress though here that those players are really only in that kind of elite category. It's still seen as a huge risk for um, a lot of other players, certainly if you go down to even top-end EFL, to, to, to run down uh, their deals in, in this scenario because obviously then there's the risk of injury and also the, the feeling that actually, you know what, you might not get better than what you're already on and you probably should have taken that deal that was on the table 12 months ago. Kylian Mbappe is the big one, isn't he? Because he's yeah. just 22 years of age, one of the hottest... And I say he's not even a prospect. He's, a, he's been playing every week for, for years now. One of the best players in the world. You talk about the fact that teams like Real Madrid haven't got much money floating around at the moment, but him being available and free, that's just incredible. Especially when you <laughs> go back to the summer and you think actually they did throw quite a lot of money on the table for PSG yeah. that summer. So that's the most fascinating one, isn't it, Mbappe? He probably will go to Madrid because that's where he wants to play, but for him to be available and a free is remarkable. And also, Stuart, I wanted to ask, why didn't PSG take the money and run? Well, I mean, that doesn't make sense to me either. No, and I spoke to Premier League Sporting Director about that one, and he just said, he asked that same question you did. He just couldn't get his head around it, Flo. It makes no sense. Obviously, PSG are fairly unique in terms of the. The wealth, the way they're funded, all the rest, and they can make financial decisions like that in a way. But even so, I mean, there's a feel on that. There's a feeling that PSG felt at that point that he could still be persuaded and talked into staying, even though it got into that final 12 months where it is highly unlikely that players will then say, "Okay, yeah, I will actually still sign." Um, but 
remarkable to think that they could turn down around 160 million euros for Mbappe, knowing that in all likelihood they were going to lose him on a free transfer 12 months later. Yeah, it's 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 just absolutely crazy that he's a bit of an outlier in the streets. He's sort of an exception to the rule in some respects because it just feels so unique you know I think a lot of these other players clubs wouldn't have been prepared to pay that kind of pay not not that kind of money but pay huge sums for someone who they knew they could get in a year's time for nothing they'd almost say well do you know what let's sit tight we'll wait 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 I mean you know Rudiger's an interesting case in himself isn't it what's going to happen there and 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 that was something that came up during the during the chats really with 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 agents that they feel sometimes that uh, Dick Law I spoke to used to handle all the transfers at Arsenal he was saying that you feel sometimes there's almost a psychological battle you've lost with a player that if it goes too far where a deal hasn't been agreed even if you then go back to the player say with six months left and say do you know what we will actually give you that money now the player's almost like no 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 sod it you know the that I'm not doing it now on a matter of principle. You know, why didn't you just do that three months before? And even when you start start thinking about the maths around it all are quite complicated because players can think, do you know what? I'm not signing that new deal. Even though I get a big salary bump, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting because I'm going to go on a free in the summer. And then what quite a few agents said to me was that players don't stop and think about all the money they've lost through that year when they could have signed an improved deal at their existing club. So actually, when you go somewhere else, yes, you get a salary bump, but it might be for the first year, even the first 18 months, you're still trying to get back to what you could have had if you'd signed. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a fascinating situation um, uh, that, that has lots of other sort of strands to it as well. One thing I hadn't noticed, what an agent mentioned to me, was that actually there haven't been many renegotiations full stop. So he wasn't talking about the players out of contract in 2022. He was saying the players who have, say, two years left on their current deal now, maybe more, and he said, if you look at a lot of those situations, Salah's one, where the talks have happened and they've kind of hit a brick wall because clubs just aren't prepared to go out on a limb in a way that perhaps they would have done in the past. So it's, it's a fairly unique transfer market, but a really great opportunity for some clubs to capitalise and get players for, you know, I don't want to say for nothing, but on a free. Also, I'm not, I'm not, not to say that, that footballers uh, don't obviously care about making good a good bit of money but is there also something to be said that even for some of these players money isn't everything and actually being able to not be stuck in a contract at, in a league or at a club that you're not necessarily wanting to play for anymore is actually a positive so even if they move elsewhere and won't be making as much money that's not the end of the world and perhaps actually we need to realise that maybe the the decision making is shifting a little bit in terms of footballers aren't necessarily that bothered anymore about making 400 grand a week or whatever it may be. Yeah, I've had this like conversation with people over time and then often people come back to me and say, oh, come on Stu, it's always going to be money kind of thing, don't be naive, you know. Um, but yeah, there is that thing where you think, well, when... When do you get to that point of, you know, well, surely that's enough now um, and, and, mm. and the football takes over? I think obviously they'll want the two to run in tandem. If you look at someone like Christensen at Chelsea, you know, realistically, is he going to join a better club than Chelsea? You know, the links with the clubs in Italy, um, they're not at the same level now. There's no two ways about it. You know, yeah, there's the history and the tradition, etc. But in terms of where they're at now, I can't see Christensen joining a better club. And Yes, maybe he could get more money, but um, you know, at what point does 
the football become more important that you want to be playing for a club that can win the Champions League each season um, or at least challenge for it so um, yeah there are lots of interesting factors in I wrote one quote from the piece what I found really interesting which was an insight from from someone senior at a Premier League club talking about the kind of what their mindset is around all of this now and why they're almost happy to let things run down I'll just read this out he said clubs are a bit more cautious and a lot of them including ourselves have seen this as an opportunity to rein back wage bills and are quite comfortable to play a bit more hardball with players and say look, he's asking for too much money. We're just not going to do it. And there's more confidence that if we're not going to do it, I'm not sure that anyone else is going to pay what he's asking either. And I think that is quite a shift. I think in the past, flow clubs would have probably been anxious and nervous around that and thought, oh, if we don't give him this extra money he wants, he's going to go and get that deal somewhere else. And I think they've almost taken the view now, some Premier League clubs, that, do you know what? I don't think anyone else is going to pay him that. We'll sit tight and he might come back to us close to the end of his contract and say, do you know what? I would actually quite like to stay now uh, on those terms. So it's game, it's game of cat and mouse, isn't it? As ever with negotiations, brinkmanship. And, um, but yeah, intriguing to see what happens next summer. Does Paul Pogba fit into that mould that you've just spoken about? He feels like one that we've been talking about new contract for Manchester United for years now. And yeah. I feel like he might be one of those players that you've just talked about that may end up going back to Manchester United and saying, yeah, actually, I'd quite like that deal that you offered me three to six months ago. I think that's a really good shout, Dan, because it's hard to see beyond, you know, I think I remember writing a piece beyond PSG and possibly back to Juventus again, which would be weird. But I, even them, it's a push. I can't see many clubs being able to pay the sort of money mm-hmm. that United can. Uh, I mean, one of the, like, your sorts of crazy theories put forward and uh, one of them which you mentioned in the piece, was a feeling that United may end up giving him a deal almost to try and keep Rayola, his agent, sweet, to try and get Haaland further down the road, which would be which would be madness on the face of it. But those sort of things have happened, you know, in the past where, you know, an agent with uh, an existing client at the club gets that existing client an improved deal that he wouldn't ordinarily get because there's another player coming down the road from his agency. So... I don't think that will happen with Haaland, but everything points to him not going to United. But um, yeah, Pogba certainly could fit that category. It's, it's not inconceivable that you know we'll get to you know March time next year and suddenly Pogba's agreed a new deal at United. Yeah, I just want to circle back to Mbappe because I'm fascinated by it. Like, mm. I'm a bit obsessed with it, actually. But yeah. would you think that would be the biggest free transfer, the biggest Bosman ever, Mbappe going to Real Madrid on a free, or anywhere on a free yeah, and God, it, it's hard to think of. It'd take a long time, my famous last words, but surely for that ever to be beaten, wouldn't it, in a way? Mm. Because it is crazy that. I mean, that kind of situation, it, it, it escaped my attention for a little bit, really, that Mbappe was going to be on a free in 2022. And I think maybe because I also, also thought, oh, yeah, just PSG, there's no way they're going to let that happen. He'll end up resigning for them. And even if he resigns and they let, then sell him on, kind of thing, they almost get him to do a deal just to extract value from him further down the road but yeah he's he's the man isn't he you know if you were talking to any sort of football fan who would you love to see playing for your club then well a lot of them would be saying Mbappe and this idea that he is going to be on a free but then interestingly Dan talking to agents how that and club officials how that deal might work you know they're saying that say Mbappe is worth you know 200 million really um, then what would probably happen with the free is that you know 50 million would go to the agent 50 million would go to the player and they say to the club well you still saved on that as well and everyone else has had a nice slice of the cake so 
you know, if we scale that down, that's what someone said with like a 15 million transfer, a player who's worth that, but is on a free, probably, you know, then 5 million might go to the agent, 5 million to the player and sign non-fees over the duration of his contract. And then the club have saved 5 million, which clearly isn't 15, but the agent has managed to convince the club that they've got a better deal than they ordinarily would have. And um, yeah, it's uh, which comes back to the point we said, what Flo was mentioned at the start, that, you know, there's there's no such thing as a free lunch kind of thing. That's that's where we're at with these players. But yeah, really, really intriguing. And, you know, I'm sure Newcastle would love to do some of these deals. They'd love to get some of these players on. on obviously, we have to remember that they could sign um, uh, contracts, uh, pre-contract agreements from January for a few weeks, a couple of weeks' time now. Um, but with Newcastle, obviously, the huge difficulty is how do you convince someone like, say, Brozovic, who they're interested in, to sign up for what could be championship football next summer and that's that's the big issue they have it's not the finance it's the barrier it's the uh short-term project if you like which could be playing in the EFL next season yeah lots more to get stuck into as well on Newcastle especially with the January transfer window just around the corner you're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast and we're going to be talking about agents FFP and who the big winners and losers might be next month after this short break stay with us This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Stuart, this January window, actually, I feel like there's been so much hype and, and talk around it. And you reference in the piece how actually all things point to it potentially being a pretty dead window, actually, as as one Premier League agent put it to you. Because with all the chat and hype around Newcastle and how, just how much money they have to spend, there's not a lot out there. And, and you specifically referenced the loan market, which is, is going to be really impacted by what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was the one word response I got from him when I said, hey, what, how are you expecting the transfer market to look next month? And he just went dead in a, in a very depressed voice. So, yeah, we have to remember, Flo, it, it was it was like that really last January. Um, I think there were only five Premier League clubs who made permanent signings. Sky I think are going to struggle, aren't they, to fill the They're deadline gonna, day oh, content. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which has got slower and slower over time anyway, hasn't it? But yeah, it's, it is it is going to be bleak and, you know, who knows what we'll be looking at in terms of potentially, I know it's uh, uh, not very good thought, but games behind closed doors and all that kind of thing, which would just make clubs row back even further. Um, there, there isn't an expectation that the clubs fighting relegation will spend. It wouldn't really be Burnley's way to do that. Um, Norwich certainly won't be doing that. Mm. Uh, Leeds is intriguing. Um but and Watford won't be doing that. And uh, I mentioned that because really that's where the money's often spent in the January window by clubs who are panic buying a bit to try and rescue their situation. I don't think that's likely at the top of the league unless you have serious injury problems, long-term injuries. So, yeah, and then Newcastle obviously do want to spend. They badly need to bring players in, but there's all sorts of challenges in terms of how they do that because of what I mentioned before, trying to convince people to sign long-term for what could be a short-term spell in the championship, assuming they came straight back up. So that's a problem. And then the loan market really does come into play for them, I think, in terms of 
Can they? Uh, I, I think that's their best opportunity. They will be able to pay loan fees that exceed what other clubs will be able to pay. Um, and uh, still, though, the issue obviously is how do you entice someone to to come in, come and join you, and play short term for a team that is really, really struggling? Also. Will a club be willing to let them go, mindful of what we're seeing at the minute where squads are really depleted through injuries, um, illness, COVID, and managers naturally will want to keep even fringe players at the club at this moment in time. So it's a massive challenge for Nicky Hammond, who's gone in there as technical uh, con- as a transfer sort of consultant, technical consultant to try and attract people. But yeah, I can't see. I just can't see flow an awful lot of transfer business being done in this window. Yeah, dead transfer window does feel like it might fit in with the mood of the country and the mood of the world at the moment, though. Dead January, dead yeah, transfer just window. It really feels like January could be one of the most depressing Januarys ever. Like for Newcastle, for example, Tark- Tarkovsky would be a no-brainer. He's a, he's going to be mm. on a free contract in the summer. But yeah. then you know, Burnley aren't going to let him go now, even if they were to offer silly money. They're not going to let him go to a relegation rival at this point, are they? No, that's a good point, Dan. And I think that's where you have to sort of see that managers are always thinking differently to a sporting director or a chief exec who will take a naturally longer term view of the club. Whereas a manager is thinking of short term and all Sean Dyche's concern will be is results, results to keep Burnley up. And Tarkovsky is worth far more to him, uh, keeping him at the club for the next five, six months in terms of what he could deliver for Burnley in terms of results, as opposed to Burnley getting 15 million for someone. And I know financially, if you stripped it away and took all the football out of it, it would make no sense whatsoever. You'd be like, get a fee for him, sell him in January, get something. But I'd be absolutely staggered if Burnley ended up sending him. And I guess it'd be a difficult one for Tarkovsky. I mean, in the, if Newcastle stay up, and I'm sure it's a really attractive proposition to go there financially and from a playing point of view in terms of where Newcastle are trying to take the club now, um, it come the summer. But at this moment in time now, I just don't see a deal. I don't see a deal like that happening. And that's why I feel that for Newcastle, probably loans are are the way to go and maybe looking overseas um, and trying to sort of capitalise on some financial problems there and yeah, offering big loan fees, that kind of thing. Yeah, because Tarkovsky, if you say they get 15 million now, but if they go down without him, that's hundreds of millions. So exactly, kind of outweighs it, doesn't it? Just keeping him for the six months, it makes complete sense to keep him. Yes, it, it, it really does. And, um, and I think that's uh, the, the information we've had. There's no real possibility of him of him going. Um, you know, f- probably from his point of view, as much as the clubs actually, because I think in the summer he'll be in a great situation to look down and uh, to look at what all the options are. Um, and yeah, now mid season clearly not a, a good time to move. And yeah, fundamentally Burnley will not want to sell him. It makes it makes no sense because of exactly what you said, the, the bigger financial numbers in terms of relegation etc. would be would be just not worth rolling the dice on that. Um, quickly, Stuart, before we let you go, I mean, clubs mm. can't just spend willy-nilly. We know that FFP has a part to play across Europe with some leagues being stricter than others. Obviously, what happened to Barcelona being pretty yeah. unique in itself. So how does that come and play into it as well? Yeah, well, it it, it does, doesn't it? And, you know, say say the worst happened with, with Newcastle and then, you know, you're looking at... Um, where it is fairly strict, I think I'm right in saying it's still 39 million over three years in the in the championship. I know Newcastle's owners aren't thinking of spending three years in the championship, but if you did say really really splash out this month or next month, and then you end up with players on long term contracts in 
the championship, I guess they'd think, well, we'll get out straight away, which is what sort of Wolves did in a different way when they came up and the uh, overspending didn't matter because they were out of the EFL and into the Premier League. So that was less of an issue. But yeah, th- these are these are problems. The UEFA regulations are, uh, are, feel more stricter in a way and will be, will be a concern for clubs. Bearing in mind, Flo, those huge losses that clubs made you know, last year because of the pandemic, really not so much because of, um, you know, uh, sort of reckless overspending, but because they couldn't legislate for having uh, empty stadiums for a season, which they wouldn't have seen coming. So, yeah, all of that comes into comes into play as well and, and probably, again, makes short-term deals the most likely and most attractive uh, proposition for clubs that, in January. Um, Stuart, one of the things I was thinking, and Nathan L, one of our subscribers, asked exactly the same thing. When is the power balance between agents and clubs going to swing more towards clubs? When will clubs look at their agents and players look at their agents and ask if the fees are really worth it? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously there's um, been lots of frustration around the amount of commission that agents get on deals. I mean, I was surprised myself when I was writing that piece and and uh, one of the um, sporting directors I spoke to said it's standard now for agents to get sort of ten percent of salary. I was I was thinking it was nearer five, um, which when you start thinking of some of the numbers is is crazy. And that's up really. front as part of their commission. Yeah, so 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 it's a simple way of looking at it. if a player was on say ten thousand pound a week, then the agent would be getting standard a thousand pound a week on top, you know, paid by the club to the agent. Every month, uh, so, every yeah, every yeah, yeah, every week, yeah, effectively. So you know, you start looking at you know, hundred thousand pound a week, two hundred thousand pound a week, and it's a lot of money. And then I was told that if it's a free transfer, where you can virtually double that because the kind of things we talked about earlier with there being technically no transfer fee. So yeah, I don't. Obviously, fans understandably get hugely frustrated about the amount of money that goes out of the game to agents. And um, as someone who's heavily involved in kids' grassroots football, I would love to see more money filter down the pyramid um, to where it's really needed. Uh, But I I just don't see it changing because I always think if there's... um, if if you know someone stops doing business with one agent, there'll be another agent who's going to do do that. And and actually, the the industry's been 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 sort of uh, deregulated in in recent years. And there's there are really good agents out there, but there's a lot of agents who are just winging it, and and they're not even really agents in my eyes. So it, it's a difficult one. I just don't think it's going away. What is happening more and more now is relatives representing players. And that's a whole other kind of issue and another problem, really, um, for the industry to deal with. Well, thanks ever so much for joining us today, Stuart. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Hope you have a good Christmas and hopefully January isn't as miserable as we've just predicted. <laughs> Great to speak to you, Dan and Flo, as well. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Still time to highlight some of the great work that's on the Athletic website at the moment, Flo. It's also on the app as well, technically. But yeah, what's what's been going on? What have you been reading, Flo? Well, I think the sort of topic, big topic of discussion at the moment is Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa. And is he coming to the end of his road? His refusal to adapt is something that Mark Carey's focused on. Um, 
And I think it's a really interesting piece because everybody's talking about it. He's obviously very stubborn in his principles and the way he plays. Um, but it does feel like something's got to give. Fans are starting to look, get a little bit frustrated as well. The first time we've really seen that in his era there. So, yeah, really interesting breakdown of the last few games. Their defensive record going forward. Loads of stats as well. All Mark Carey's pieces are always um, stocked full of stats. So, yeah, really, really interesting piece. Yeah, there'll be plenty of Phil High dismay as well in the lead <laughs> section of the Athletic website. I read Charlie Eccleshare's Spurs piece this morning, just looking back on what was the best game of the season so far in the Premier League on Sunday, Spurs against Liverpool. Just nice to, to read about it. Really, really enjoyable game. A bit about Deli Alley's resurgence in that game and the way Spurs was, was set up. And yeah, probably the best game they've had post Potichina. So yeah, it's worth going and reading Charlie's thoughts on that match. And a final reminder as well that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. Save 33% on a full subscription today by visiting theathletic.com forward slash football pod or give an Athletic subscription as a gift this Christmas. I have not done any Christmas shopping, so this might be what I have to do come <laughs> in the next few days. But visit the website for more details. I'm pretty sure it's on the homepage at the moment or under most articles on there about doing a little Athletic Christmas gift. Give the gift of The Athletic this Christmas. Thanks as always to you, Flo, and thanks to Stuart for joining us as well. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening. Get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you do get your podcast, if you're enjoying the show, then please leave us a review too. This was The Athletic Football Podcast and our weekend preview where I'm joined, as usual, by George Ellick and Steve Freeth. will be out slightly earlier this week on Thursday morning as the business of sport takes a little bit of a Christmas break. So hopefully you'll join us again for that. Merry Christmas. The Athletic.